Hey, Lauren. Hey, Liza. Have you ever watched Star Trek? Um, only a few episodes. When I was a kid, my dad used to make me watch it. I used to watch it with my dad, too. Oh, my God. Why is it a dad thing? I don't know. Maybe it'll be a mom thing in the future. Do you think? We're going to change the world. Yeah, I hope so. There's more female characters now. This is true, because there's this new show called Star Trek Discovery. Have you seen that? I have not. Well, we have a special treat, because you may have noticed that Nancy and Shane are not here today. Nope. Lauren and Eliza are taking over. We're just holding on the fort, because we're here in Bellevue, Washington, for the Astrobiologist Science Conference. Yes. This week, we are learning all about the search for life outside of our solar system. So how scientists are teaching us about how they would go about searching for life on other planets and other solar systems, what that life might even look like. And we have a very special guest today. Anthony Rapp. He's an actor on Star Trek Discovery. Yes, he is. You may know him from his uh, portrayal of Mark Cohen in the musical Rent. Rent. Um, and from one of my favorite childhood movies as well, Adventures in Babysitting. Oh, man, I remember that one. <laughs> Somehow they end up on a roof. They do. In Chicago. And there's like, yeah. Well, and I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I wish we should go watch that again. Welcome to the American Geophysical Union's podcast about the scientists and methods behind the science. These are the stories you won't read in a manuscript or hear in a lecture. I'm Lauren LaPuma. And I'm Liza Lester. And this is Third Pod from the Sun. Uh, My name is Anthony Rapp and I play Lieutenant Commander Paul Stamets on Star Trek Discovery. So your character is the science officer on board? Yeah, yeah, I mean, technically I'm one of couple of different science officers. Um, I mean, Saru is in the command training program, but he's really also a science officer. Um, Burnham is a science officer. She's an, uh, what is it, astro, xenobiologist by trade, um, although she's also in the command training program or now. But um, And then Tilly is in, she's like a science engineer, like there's that engineer science, you know, sort of crossover. She was in the cadet, you know, she's also in the command training program. First was a cadet and now she's an ensign. Um, so we're all kind of like science, they're like a bunch of science arts. And then of course Spock was in season two, you know, as a kind of uh, bonus, bonus member of our crew for a minute there. So there's a big science team, but you're kind of like the civilian scientist that got pulled into this story. Yeah. And I mean, Discovery, you know, it's alluded to in season one more than season two, but Discovery was really, it's a science vessel that then was kind of in a way conscripted to play a bigger role in the war because of the spore drive. But yeah, it's more it's more science vessel-y than the Enterprise, for instance, which is more of an exp- its mission was more an explorer exploration. So there are always going to be science aspects to the Starfleet mission, but Discovery was conceived more from a pure scientific standpoint. So when you were thinking about how your character would be, what kind of research did you do to to learn how to be a scientist, or did you get to observe <laughs> scientists in their natural habitat? Well, that's um, funny. Uh, I watched a, a TED talk that Paul Stamets gave, the real Paul Stamets, um, who, you know, and the, the truth is, like, my, Paul Stamets, my character, is not really like the real Paul Stamets in many ways in terms of personality at all. Like, the real Paul Stamets, in my interactions with him, he's, he's like, totally easygoing, warm, jolly, and I wouldn't call my Paul Stamets jolly, necessarily. Um, it's kind of flinty and, you know, sparky. Uh, but... Be, having some time to dig into the work that the real Paul Stamets is doing was very inspiring. And the pa- the passion that I saw in him for the work that he's doing 
and his ability to communicate it to a, a lay a lay audience because the you know in a TED talk it's all kinds of people watching that it's not you know it's not just mycologists so that was really inspiring but so I guess what I got from it was it wasn't temperament but it was a connection to the soul of a scientist if that makes any sense yeah what made you want to take on this role in the first place what kind of drew you to it I mean just the just Star Trek alone I mean I didn't have to know anything about the part really I didn't it just to to be given that opportunity I, I would have done anything I would have stood on my head I mean you know truly it would have I mean I could not I can't think of anything that would have made me go ew no thank you you know thanks but no thanks no I mean it just was just yeah yes um, like, where do I sign? Yeah. yeah. And then when I read the, the first pilot that I read, actually, the first script was, it changed a lot from what it became later. That like the version I read had a tardigrade in it that was like a, like my right-hand man, like on the <laughs> ship with me. Like, and it was more of a character yeah. and less of a... Like, a yeah, no, yeah. there was a... Ta- like how big was the tardigrade? Big. Like, like a, a big... Like a human-sized yeah, or yeah, I mean, ish, yeah. you know, but, you know, crawling around on all six or however many limbs they have. Yeah, I think six pairs, but I'm, I could be wrong. Six or eight. Yeah, so yeah. so that was very different. But but what was true right away was it was kind of flinty and, you know, just super smart and capable. But, like, my impression was, you know, he just doesn't have time for fools. And that made sense to me. I mean, I don't think it's the best way to live all the time, but I, it made sense that if you're really high-achieving scientists and you're given this task to do this work... And if, if people are coming in and bothering you while you're trying to do the work, I could see people being kind of flinty in that, you know, in that way, you know. So, it, it, I mean, it resonated as being human and true. So then that was just fun, the idea that it was fun to play that. Because I'm not particularly flinty in my life. I don't tend to be. I mean, I have moments every once in a while, but it's like, it's a little more way of being for Paul. Paul's also a lot more disciplined in terms of, like, I'm hardworking for sure, especially like, but like the, the I, I think it would be hard for me to be a scientist in the sense that the, the time alone with just you and the data and you and the research, I would get lonely in that way. Like I, like I like to read. I could sit and read a book for a long time, but I feel like it's an interactive, like I'm, I'm just getting something from it and I'm getting using my imagination. I guess scientists use their imagination, but in my work life, I'm collaborating i'm with people so much it's so much like in the moment as an actor in a scene we're we're playing together and i know there's some of that in science but it seems a little less because it it's so much of the kind of like nose to the grindstone hard work on your own that that's the part that i would have a harder time finding my way into but it makes a lot of sense for i mean paul's obsessed with his work and you know hugh understandably is like sometimes like you never come home you're in your lab all the time and you know that wouldn't be me in that sense in that sense as much I ta- uh, so I used to work with a scientist who was also a dancer and she talked about this kind of difference between science and performance and that in performance it's like very much like instant gratification where science is like you work on something <laughs> you could work on something for years or even your whole career and never really get see the result of it yeah. do you find the same way think feel the same way about performing or do you feel differently yeah, in some ways, yeah, because it's so much about the moment, yeah, bringing a moment to life, yeah. and then that's the that is the sort of end result in and of itself. And then, of course, in, in a TV show or a film, then it has to be cut together. And so, one of the strange things is that, like you and I, if you and I are doing a scene and we could feel great about this one moment, it might get cut out mm-hmm. in the end. So there's a little bit of a 
similarity in, in terms of that. But basically, the story we're telling is going to be the story that's going to be in the movie or the TV show for the most part. Yeah. Sometimes I can actually edit it and it can change a lot more than you think it might. Um, theater is very much like everybody who's in that room is having the experience together. And there's something, yeah, that, and it's not about instant gratification for me as much as just fulfilling a moment in real time, you know, that, that will never, it, it's only this moment and will only be this moment forever. That's really cool. I wrote a book also that's to me more like the science and that's what made it hard is it this thing about being alone with my computer screen writing it creating it and it wouldn't you know it's years later before any person is sitting in their room reading it yeah so what then do you think are the similarities and you kind of mentioned this earlier in your talk what do you think are the similarities between science and acting in acting i have to lean into some of the unknown and i have to make leaps of faith sometimes of not always knowing how something's gonna be feel in the moment and but i do get to rehearse yeah so I guess that's similar to experimentation. The, 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 I would think it would be, if you're a scientist, right, it would be a good idea if you're willing to experiment and not be fixed to a notion, right? Yeah. But then there's this other thing that scientists have to do that I don't think actors have to do, which is you have to have peer review and you have to have like, you have to repeat the experiment, right? Isn't there a big part of like the mm -hmm. scientific method means you have to be able to repeat an experiment and have the same results or enough a little, you know, the variation has to be small enough so that it right. is within the, I mean, whatever the... Um, has to be consistent. Yeah. Yep. So whereas in acting, yeah, the, like, so in doing theater, I do believe it does have to, my performance has to be consistent over the time, but it's inevitably going to be different in the color, the, the shades of it are going to be different night to night, but I still have to be alive and present every time I do it. So it's, it's not a, there's a rigor involved, but it's a different kind of rigor, if that mm -hmm. makes any sense. Yeah. What do you ever do? Maybe this doesn't happen to you. You know, you have, like you said, you have to be alive and present in the moment to do your job is what do you do on those days when you're just not feeling it? Hmm. Um, if I'm not feeling well, it's one thing like physically well, I just sort of have to like dig deep and find the energy, but truly i I don't know how to do the work without connecting to it. I just don't know how. I think, it, I mean, it, it mystifies to, it mystifies me when I see performances that I feel are so disconnected. I, don't, I just don't know how people do that. Mm -hmm. I had a wonderful teacher. I mean, I've been doing it for so long since I was a little kid, but I just had a wonderful teacher and I believe this so strongly. And she said that, you know, your system, what she calls your system. So for me, it's, it's heart, mind, soul connection to the art kind of thing that system it doesn't know it's acting it's not pretending anything it's responding it's alive in the moment responding if i've done the homework to connect the character to myself to my soul and to the material then all i have to do is kind of like hitch myself onto it and then my you know my system will react accordingly so i don't know how to do it otherwise truly you know, the, 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 the other kind of analogy is if there were a flame here, an open flame, no matter how many times I put my hand in that open flame, yeah, you might develop some callus to it or some scarring that might mitigate the pain a little bit, but basically every time you're going to get burned and hurt by it. So it's the kind of that thing that I aspire to anyway in my work. So, you know, the biggest challenge, I guess, I've come up with sometimes just being really, really like exhausted physically. Yeah. That's just, but then it's just like, you got to like find a way. And, and then there's another side of it. It's like, you got to use whatever you have as an actor. So if I'm tired, you could argue that the character might be a little tired. Like 
you know, you, you've, I'm sure, burning the candle at both ends and you're doing a project and you might be exhausted, but you find a way. So it's like every person alive has had that experience. So there's always a way to channel it into the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned during the keynote that the writers of Discovery do try to bring real science into the storyline, um, this future storyline, imaginary. Sure. Um, do you feel like that's important to the story, to making it feel real yeah i mean it's important to us i can say that for sure like if we're given some techno babble ish things it, it is meaningful when i can look it up and it has grounding um it makes it a, it makes it easier to learn and talk about but it's also yeah it has meaning then it's not just like word salad do you you know when you're reading a script or something and it's, it's has some science concepts in there does it spark your own curiosity do you look 100%, up yeah totally, do you totally. go and look stuff up yeah, yeah totally yeah, yeah. Hundred percent. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Do your yeah? Do your um? Does the other cast members do that too? I or? think so. Yeah. 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 I know that for I know for yeah. sure because Wilson's talked about it because he has a lot of medical stuff that he has to say and he absolutely yeah. looks yeah. it up oh, for sure. I know that because we've because yeah. you know anyway yes. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. We were gonna ask if if there was any of the particular science jargon, real or imaginary, that was kind of a favorite or caught your imagination. Well, um, I mean, I. I this, anything that had to do with like the reason for being for Stamets was particularly meaningful to me of, you know, trying to answer the questions that like really get to get at the heart of, of what makes life in the universe possible. I mean, and what connects us all and, mm-hmm. and getting to the, these great mysteries and getting to explore that and seeing the beauty and the intricacy of it. The, the notion of the mycelial network, like th- there's stuff about that that's, that, that, uh, that I think is beautiful and that um, is moving to me as a person as well as I see, think moves Paul Stamets. You know, the, the, there, are, there are mysteries that are maybe, maybe we'll never know all the answers, but this is incredible. Like I was, I was here, just I got to sit in a little bit on the media presentation and just seeing like, there's stuff that I don't, that it's, just, it's just mind boggling to me I'm, I'm not a scientist, that we have access to talking about, I don't even understand all of it exactly, but the evidence of microbial life, I guess, that's been found in rocks that are billions of years old, and like that blows my mind, you know, and that's the kind of stuff that, I haven't talked about that specific thing, but that it touches on the nature of what it is that's so exciting about being a part of the astrobiology, astromycology work that I get to talk about in the show. You know, Star Trek has been through a lot of reboots over the years, you know, so many different incarnations of it. What do you think is different and special about Discovery? Well, there's a couple of things. I mean, from a technical standpoint, from a storytelling standpoint, in uh, um, a visual medium standpoint, we have access to technologies now that are just thrilling and if Gene Roddenberry had had access to these technologies he would have used them I promise you you know he wouldn't have used cardboard <laughs> sets and like but in a way the cardboard's got more fun you know the paper mache <laughs> stuff I mean honestly you know so the fact that we can that they can 3D print incredible like Klingon weapons and like you know that we can have yeah. these these landscapes and tardigrades and all that stuff that can be made to look and feel real in a way and that we have we have the technology that you know because of digital imaging now with visual effects and with the the lighting and camera work that it's so much more accessible to make the 
pictures that are, you know, just more cinematic, more beautiful. So that's a big difference. It really is such a quantum leap forward from the way the shows used to look, you know, and it's just the era, the, the fact that we're getting to make the show in the golden era of television is really exciting for myself as a member of the creative world that we get to do, you know, put our best foot forward on that standpoint. And then um, Star Trek has always been about like showing a diverse group of people, but that we continue, that continues to be so important. And, and especially the representation of, of strong and clear and intelligent women on our show is so exciting for all of us and it's really meaningful for all of us and that, that our lead is a black woman is really meaningful for all of us and the you know the i don't know if you know about the bechdel test but the where mm -hmm. it's a test where you look at any work of art and how many times are women in a room together just women oh yeah uh -huh. talking to each other yeah. and where the conversation not about a man not about or not about a romantic yeah. thing you know yeah, you and see tilly and the the um being character talking to each other a lot. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, there's so like we've we've killed the Bechtel test. Like we've aced the Bechtel test so many times, and that's really exciting, you know. Yeah. And that it's also the first time that I mean, Deep Space Nine did a little bit of this of like smaller arc sort of serialized storytelling, but mm -hmm. um, it's the first time that it's really like the characters that you made in the episode one continue to grow and evolve and change in ways throughout the whole course of the and I believe that'll happen throughout however many seasons we have of the show in a way that hasn't really been seen before um, to the to the lengths and depths that we're able to do it and that you know there's kind of like long form like sometimes red herrings but like the seed is planted in episode one and it doesn't bear fruit until maybe episode 10 and that's something that is some of the, that is new to the Star Trek storytelling of, in terms of T television um that's been used used to be much more episodic in its storytelling approach so those, those are some of the things what is it like for you you know being at this conference and having you know hundreds of scientists come up to you and <laughs> like tell you what an inspiration you are to them and how you know <laughs> i mean did you ever imagine that would be a part of your career i really never imagined i really i mean it when i when i was giving my talk that i said like i always imagined myself i'd be a fan of this show shows like this and I'd be an audience member, an eager, happy audience member, and I never thought that I'd be in it. So like the first day that I was on set and I'm, they handed me a tricorder and I'm holding it and I'm wearing the Starfleet badge. I'm like, what is happening? It's, I still feel that way, I promise you. I mean, I've gotten more accustomed to it, but it still is thrilling. And it's very meaningful to me when to learn, you know, I've heard the stories, but to continue to hear it personally stated to me and meaningfully stated to me from many different scientists how much the show is not just our show but star trek in general is meant to them and to the work that they do is 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 really important and i promise you that everyone involved in our show i can't speak to everybody who's been ever involved in star trek but i most of the people i've met i would say would also say the same thing that it is very meaningful to to all of us who are part of the star trek family that it has made the difference that it's made. Is there, have you ever had a role, I guess maybe like an ideal role that you would like to play in your career? I mean, the truth is I would never have thought, okay, here's what I want to do. I want to do a documentary filmmaker in a rock opera. You know, I'm serious. I never would have imagined that and that turned out to be an incredible role. I yeah. would never have said I want to, I really would not have thought, you know, I'm going to play a science officer on a Star Trek show. I, I wouldn't have imagined that for myself and yet it's turned into an incredible opportunity. So, I like not knowing and, and having something thrown my way. All right, folks, that's all for Third Farm Pod from the Sun. I'm Lauren LaPuma. I'm Liza Lester. And if you want to hear more about Anthony and st science and Star Trek, 
we have another podcast for you to listen to. Hi, it's Mike Wong from Strange New Worlds, a science and Star Trek podcast. Yeah, I started this podcast about two years ago now when I was still in grad school at Caltech studying planetary science, and it was spurred by the release of Star Trek Discovery, which Anthony Rapp stars in. Um, And I was listening to a bunch of other Star Trek podcasts, and I realized that there was a lot of science in the show that wasn't being talked about at all. And I just thought to myself, well, if nobody else is going to talk about it, maybe I should. And um, so usually what we do on Strange New Worlds is we pick a scientific concept from an episode of Star Trek, and I go and I find somebody who's actually actively researching that area of science, and I interview them about that episode of Star Trek and about what they do in their own scientific life. And so um, it's not usually the case that I get to interview an actual actor who plays a science officer on Star Trek. So (laughs) uh, this was a real pleasure and what a gift. I'm just so glad that Anthony decided to come to AppsIcon and share in the wonder of uh, active science research trying to ask some of the biggest questions in the universe, like are we alone and where did we come from?